This last week, uh, we got to have a few days off, be refreshed, restored, uh, reset, whatever you want to call it. And I, I love the opportunity, um, and I, I get to spend a lot of time with the Lord. I get I like kind of like Tina. I'm one of those early birds. I like to get up early, uh, and I like to be alone with the Lord and just sense what He's saying. And uh, what I'm going to share is something the Lord's put on my heart. I'm going to do this the best uh, to be faithful to what the Lord said. You know, the Word of God says that He puts leaders as watchmen on the wall. Everybody understand that term? Uh, Just a picture. This is kind of a rendition of what it was like. But uh, throughout the book of Ezekiel and Joel and Isaiah, it talks about watchmen on the wall. And the idea is that God would assign watchmen on the wall and they would look for the enemy. And it allowed the people within the city to go about their business, go on life as normal, without fear that all of a sudden the enemy is just going to sneak up on them. So the watchman had a responsibility to be diligent. And the picture of this guy, he's got a big, huge horn uh, ready to blow the horn. Should he see the enemy on the horizon? And that passage in Ezekiel, I'd like to read that passage to you because this is something the Lord continued to put on in my heart uh, every time I went to the Lord in prayer. It said, once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I'll hold the watchman responsible for their death. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I'm saying and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. And every day when I would get up early and I would begin a time with the Lord, I would, I would have these passages come back to me. And I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, it was no longer God speaking to Ezekiel, now it was God speaking to me. He said, Renee, I've set you as a watchman and that I have a position, a place of a watchman on the wall for this church and for the city of Homa. And I just want you to understand that I take that responsibility with a great sense of seriousness. 
primarily, you saw what he said. He said, if you don't warn the people, then I'll hold you responsible for their death. So that's pretty heavy. So I need to say something to you. I didn't bring my shofar this morning, the the horn, but if I'd remembered to bring it, I would blow it. Because I see the enemy on the horizon. The enemy is on the horizon, and it is time to heed the warning. What enemy is there? It's a little difficult. But if you've been keeping your eyes and your ears open, you already know what I'm talking about. Enemies on the attack. Things are happening today at such a rapid pace that I would have never imagined in my lifetime that we would see some of the things that we're seeing today. And so the word of the Lord for me to speak to his people was the word prepare. Prepare. And prepare, number one, for spiritual warfare in prayer. That is our number one responsibility. Our our call is to prepare in spiritual warfare, praying, seeking God, hearing the heart of God, and praying what He calls us to pray. Folks, wars, physical wars, are won and lost on the battlefield of prayer. And so I I would encourage you, the enemy's on the horizon. And and I I struggle to say exactly what I see in my spirit, but it's just like a huge cloud, roiling cloud. And it's the dust of the enemy as it fast approaches our country. And the Lord is saying, you need to prepare The second area of preparation is prepare individually to be spiritually right with God. Folks, this is not a time to be out of tune with God. If you have sin in your life, I I just want to encourage you, get rid of that sin, repent of that sin, and turn today. Don't say, well, I'll take care of myself and I'll get things right next week or next year. No, now you need to be spiritually ready today to meet the Lord. And I know we should say that at all times, but I just feel like I need to say this again. We need to prepare ourselves spiritually to be ready every day. And then the third area of preparation is physical, practical Physical preparation. Uh, Get out of debt. As far as is possible. Don't get into stupid debt. Y'all understand stupid debt? Getting into debt for things you don't need. Um, Avoid it all possible. Sometimes it's necessary but avoid it at all possible. Work toward the process of getting out of debt to the best of your ability. Um, And 
Be wise with your finances. I, I see an economic storm coming to our nation. And, and have some extra supplies set aside. You know, most people have two or three days of stuff, food, supplies, various things. And that's the typical family in America today. You know, that makes the assumption that things are always going to be the way they are. And that the grocery stores that you have and the Walmarts and the Targets and all the other stores, they're always going to be there and they're always going to be full of stores and uh, groceries and goods. But I just want you to understand that is an assumption that's that's a dangerous assumption today. You cannot make that assumption. All kinds of things can happen that can change that impact. And so I encourage you. I exhort you. One of the things the Lord is saying, be prepared. Now, some people are not interested in, in physical preparation. You have to understand this is kind of part of who I am. It's always, I've always been this way. Uh, you know, I'm the guy that has seven flashlights in his pickup. Uh, you know, I got to have a backup to a backup to a backup. I mean, that's just kind of the way I am. But forget that. I still think we need to make sure that the Lord has given us wisdom in preparing. And if you're interested, no pressure on this at all, but several people have asked me uh, because I have learned a lot of things about preparation, physical preparation, uh, how to be prepared for difficult times. Uh, If you're interested in knowing more about that or understanding more about that, uh, I'm going to actually have a meeting next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Uh, here in the church, and we'll just talk about it. If you're not interested in that, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm not into that, I don't want to know any more about that, that, that's fine, there's no pressure, but if you want to, I'd like to talk to more in more detail. Um, I, I want to show you a picture. This is a painting. Hope you can see it. I, um, this is drawn, painted by a man named Mauricio Palacio. For last day's ministries, might, you might remember Keith Green. Um, and this is based upon a vision given to General William Booth. He's the founder of Salvation Army. And he had a vision from the Lord. And he shared that vision. And this artist drew, drew this, painted this. And I want you to notice the name of this painting is called Who Cares? Who Cares? And I want you to look at it real carefully. People are drowning in the sea, and I only count the guy over in the far right is throwing out a life preserver. One is laying down on the dock trying to reach out and help somebody. The guy on the, two guys are on the left in a, in a lifeboat trying to get the people, but the rest of the people are doing nothing. They're just going on about their life. They're visiting. They're talking. They're having a good time. One guy's fishing. Another guy's lifting weights. Another guy's playing his guitar. And it's not saying that those things are wrong. But folks, a storm is coming to our nation. And and I'm going to change that. The storm is already here. 
It's not coming. The storm is already here. And I want to challenge you this morning. Who are you in this picture? Which one fits you? Why are we involved in outreach? Why do we have a a mission team in Albania? Why do we have vacation Bible school? Why do we have home of Christian school? Why do we do the house of hope? Why do we do all the things that we do? Because we need to be busy about reaching people for the name of Jesus while we can. Now, I want to make a parallel. Just, Just stay with me here. I want to tie something together. And I hope you understand where I'm coming from. If you're in the middle of the storm and you yourself are drowning, then you're in no position to help anybody else. Does that make sense? So one of the reasons I believe the Lord is saying we need to prepare ourselves as the storm is now upon us so that we can reach people for the name of Jesus. Why are we here? We are here to reach people for Jesus. We are here to touch lives. The world is full of hurting people right now. And so I don't, you know, somebody says, oh, brother, you're painting a terrible picture of the future. I want to tell you, we have a great opportunity in front of us. Because in the middle of a storm, people are anxious and desirous to hear about hope for their hurting world. If their world is falling apart, they want to know answers. I want to tell you, what a great opportunity to tell people about Jesus. But again, if we're drowning ourselves, struggling to stay above water, You can't help anybody do anything. So that is one of the reasons I like to be prepared. So I can help somebody. So I'm in a position to help somebody. I believe God has a word for us from the Old Testament. In fact, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament specifically the kings of Israel. And as I would begin each morning and the Lord would put Ezekiel on me and remind me I'm a watchman of the wall and to tell the people they need to prepare. After that, the Lord put on my heart, he said, I want you to look at the lives of the kings of Israel and see from their successes and their failures lessons that we can learn from. We just finished a growth series, 10 weeks long, about all the ways that we need to learn to grow in Christ. But there are unique lessons from the Old Testament. You know, the amazing thing to me is that God caused certain things to happen in the Old Testament in such a way that it would speak to us. I want you to look at a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Interesting verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. It says, these things happened as a warning to us. 
so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some did. And the scriptures, as the scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. Each time he's referencing stories from the Old Testament. And don't grumble if some of them did. Y'all, I know y'all wouldn't grumble or moan. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. Don't grumble if some of them, as some of them did. And then were destroyed by the angel of death. Here's a key verse. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. God is saying, I had certain things to happen cause certain things to happen in the nation of Israel and their history in such a way that it would be a lesson for us. And he wrote them down for us to be able to learn from them. I don't know about you, but I like to learn from other people's mistakes as well as learn from their successes. And so as we embark on this new series of the kings of Israel, we're going to start with the first king, King Saul. Interesting story. King Saul. Actually, he starts great, but it ends badly. But I want us to look at what can we learn from the kings of Israel. Specifically, what can we learn from Saul? The very first thing that I feel like the Lord wants to put on our heart, and that is God sees us differently than we do. God sees us differently than we do. Look at a passage in 1 Samuel. All of 1 Samuel basically is talking about the life of King Saul. But look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 17 through 19. It says this, And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder to do what was evil in the Lord's sight? King Saul had a hard time seeing himself as the king of Israel. In fact, as you read the story back in chapter 9, when the time came that Samuel was going to anoint and declare King Saul as the king, he was ready to go, and then he said, where's Saul? And they said, he's over hiding in the baggage. He was hiding among some bags. He didn't see himself as important. When Samuel first approached him, his response was, I'm the least of my family from the, from the least tribe of Benjamin. Now, here's the interesting thing. From other people's viewpoint, it said that he was head and shoulders above everybody else, that he was tall and handsome. But he didn't see himself as tall and handsome. In fact, as you read the story of Saul... He battled with fear and depression and discouragement. He got so 
wound up with discouragement and fear and anxiety. He told his men, and his men said, listen, we have a guy named David who can play the harp. He can play worship. And when he plays worship, those demons go away. And that's the way David was introduced into Saul's life. Because he was fighting all these insecurities and fears and anxieties. You know, folks, something we can learn from the life of Saul. You've got to see yourself as God sees you. And that's what he's trying to say here. You've you've got to see yourself as God sees you. And then when your security is in God, then we trust him completely. And then obedience is a way of honoring God. But he had a hard time obeying God because he kept fighting this sense of insecurity. He couldn't see himself as God saw him. And we struggle with seeing ourselves correctly because we look at all our failures. We look at who we've been. We look at our past. We look at our history. We look at everything that has happened in the past. But God is not looking at the past. He's looking at his plan for your life. He is looking at your destiny. He is looking at the blueprint that God has for every person. And that blueprint is good. His plans for you are good and not for evil. We keep looking back. God says, forget the past. Let's move on. Yes, we have to repent. But once you've repented, he wants you to move on with your life. Why? Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And one of the things that you can learn from the life of Saul, that he struggled with obedience. And and one of the reasons was because he couldn't see himself as God saw him. God saw him, and and Samuel tried to tell him this as we read this. He said, don't you realize you're the anointed king of Israel? And he even made mention, you see yourself as insignificant. You think of yourself as small, but God sees you as a mighty leader. I mean, Saul had the greatest opportunity to set the bar high for the first king of Israel. He didn't choose to be king. God chose him. God sought him out and chose him. Saul was on a mission trying to find some donkeys for his daddy. And Saul had no plans of being king of Israel. But Samuel the prophet found Saul. Because God spoke to Samuel and said, that man is going to be the king. So I want to encourage you. Begin to develop eyes to see who God sees you. Not how the world sees you. Not how your friends see you. See yourself as God's word says who you are. You are chosen. You are beloved. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's the way God sees you.
the second thing, and this is pretty important, and that is that you have to, you've got to learn to listen to God's word rather than people pressure. Everybody understand people pressure? Man, people pressure will get you into trouble. What everybody else thinks you ought to do. What really matters is what does God's word say? God's word is what holds us steady in life. It is the one thing that does not change. Our opinions may change, but folks, God's word never changes. That's why it's not based upon somebody's opinion. It is what does God's word say? That's the only thing that's important. I want you to look at a passage. It's here in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Kind of describes what's going on. They're in the midst of a battle with the Philistines. It says, The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, as many warriors as the grains of the sand of the seashore. They camped at Mishmash at east of Beth Haven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. Because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River, escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself, something he was strictly forbidden to do. Why did he do that? Can you understand the pressure he's under? I can Got all you men are running away. They're hiding. They're afraid. You see the enemy over there, a huge gathering of the enemy. And you're worried. You feel like you need to do something. The best thing that he could have done was obey the word of the Lord. You know what's interesting? Samuel came at the very end of the seventh day. Almost near sundown, but the seventh day wasn't over until sundown. But a few hours before sundown, Saul was looking, he had waited, he had waited, he had waited, he had waited, and he just decided, man, Samuel's not coming. I've got to do something. I've got to take the bull by the horns. I've got to get a hold of this thing and, and do what I've got to do. And, and he stepped out in disobedience to God, in direct contradiction to God's word. Leviticus strictly forbid the kings from offering any of the sacrifices. That was only allowed by the priest. But he did it. Pressure. God uses delays to test your heart. And before he can use you for his purpose, he will always test your heart for obedience. How many of you have felt like There have been some delays. (laughs) Waiting for a job. 
waiting for finances, waiting for a husband, waiting for a wife, waiting for this to happen, waiting for that to happen. And it's easy to feel the pressure. Everybody else is getting married. What about me, Lord? And the tendency is to give in to the pressure around us. Step out on our own. Do it in our own strength. And just get something done. But that's the worst thing we can do. Worst thing we can do. Now, let's look at this in a general sense. In a general sense, folks, Christians are under under a lot of pressure. And we're under a lot of pressure to give in and give up the Word of God. Very honestly. Christians are being ridiculed for believing what the Bible says. I don't know if you heard this interview. It was an interview between Cooper Anderson and Pam Bondi who is the Florida Attorney General, just this last week. I listened to that several times. Interesting. Because Cooper Anderson, of course, he's a journalist for CNN. The context of the interview was he wanted to her to explain all the things that Florida was doing to try and minister to and help those who are hurting. But in the middle of the interview, he, he changed. And he began to attack her because she had defended the law in Florida that marriage, that said marriage is between a man and a woman. And so he began to berate her, make fun of her, ridicule her, Changing the interview entirely. But one of his, well, actually he said it three times, but he, he, he stated this, and I thought this was so telling for us as Christians. He said this. He said, because of your stance, he's looking at her, and he said, because of your personal stance of marriage between a man and a woman, you have helped to incite the terrorist act in Orlando. He didn't just say it once, he said it three times. Now, everybody understand what I mean by end game? And so I want to encourage you as Christian to keep in mind the end game. Satan, our adversary, The battle is not bathrooms. It's not equal rights. It's not discrimination. It's not any of all that is smokescreen. The end game has been the same from the beginning of time. Satan wants the church out of the way. He wants the church to shut their mouth and to not say anything And never quote the Bible or say, this is what God's word says. 
And Satan has been trying to shut the church up for thousands of years. And so this is one more new tactic. And you talk about pressure that King Saul felt. The pressure is going to be from the world. And the world is going to look at you and me and say, because you believe in the word of God and you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, then you are the source of hatred and discrimination and that when a Muslim terrorist kills 49 people, then it's your fault. Now, is that not the craziest rationalization you've ever heard? But that's the way they think. Why? Because the end game has always been to shut you up, to shut me up, to make fun of, to marginalize Christians. What is all this? This is the same pressure. King Saul felt the pressure from the soldiers. He felt pressure from the people. He felt pressure from the enemy. And he gave in to the pressure rather than holding steady to the word of God. And God is speaking to us the same lesson that he had. He was trying to say to King Saul, Saul, hang tight. Obey the word of the Lord. Obey God's word. God's word to him was so specific. Wait seven days until Samuel gets here. Couldn't have been clearer. But he forgot that last part until Samuel got there. And you and I are going to be under all kinds of pressure. So how are you going to react to that? (laughs) How are you going to handle somebody who accuses you of inciting terrorist attacks because you believe that the Word of God is true and real? Well, I pray that you'll hang tight with the Word of God and say, well, you know, I've said this before. I said, listen. I just believe what God's Word says. It's faithful. It's true. It's been true a lot longer than you've been around. It's been a lot around a lot longer than anybody else has been around. It has always been true. God has always been proven to be faithful. And His Word is always secure. So we have to hang to that. But talk about pressure. We will have pressure. Saul felt pressure. And I just want to encourage you, learn to listen to God's word instead of the pressure that you're going to feel. Why? Because the enemy's seeking to do what? He's going to divert us. He wants to divert you from the main purpose that we are here. Why are we here? We talked about it a minute ago. We are here to reach people for Jesus. We're here to tell a lost, hurting world that's getting more lost. We're here to tell them Jesus has an answer for your life. Don't get diverted from that. Just understand the end game of the enemy. 
The end game is to stop the church. The voice of righteousness. And don't be silent. And I know there's this real tendency for all of us to, I'm just going to go crawl in a hole and hide, kind of like Saul's men were doing. They were hiding in the rocks and the cisterns and the cracks. And, uh, you know, that's the tendency when the pressure is on to hide. Don't hide. It doesn't mean you have to look for a fight. (laughs) Don't do that. Not looking for confrontation. But when asked, we need to be willing to give an answer for the hope that is within us. We need to be willing to say, this is what I believe, and I believe what God's Word says. If that offends you, then I'm so sorry, but it's still what I believe. I still believe that we can disagree on issues and we can love one another. But for some reason, that has gone out. Seems like as soon as, you know, as soon as you disagree with somebody, you must hate them, and that's not true. But again, that's all a means to an end. Third thing I can see from the life of Saul, and that is obedience is better than sacrifice. Say that out loud with me, would you? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. 1 Samuel uh, 15, let's look at verse 1, 2, and 3. This is the word of the Lord to, to Saul. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of Israel, king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. This is going to be a pretty tough word, but this is the way it is. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. That's a tough word. And you'd have to understand the history of the Amalekite nation and what they were involved in and the terrible uh, witchcraft that they were into. But that was still the word of the Lord. He was fulfilling, God was fulfilling his word and what he was about to ask uh, Saul to do. Now let's see what actually happened. This is what's interesting. Next passage. In 15 verse 7, it says, Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way from Shur, east of Egypt. He ca- captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everything, everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything in fat that appealed to them. Interesting. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Now, let me ask you a question. You heard the word of the Lord in verse 1, 2, and 3. Did Saul obey what God said? No, not even close. He partially obeyed. And what's funny is, it wasn't really funny, but as soon as Samuel gets there, he hears the bleeding of sheep. He wasn't expecting that. And he asks Saul, he says, Saul, what is this bleeding in my ear that I hear? And he says, oh, that's some of the best of the sacrifices that we held back. And Saul said, Samuel said, why didn't you obey the word of the Lord? And Saul says, oh, I obeyed. I obeyed. And he said, what are you talking about? You obeyed. 
Why are all these sheep and God, what are they doing here? The word of the Lord was to destroy everything. He said, oh, the men, the men made a decision to hold those back because they were the best. And then later we were going to give that back to the Lord. It was that day, at that point, God decided to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to David, a man after his own heart. As soon as Saul realized what he had done, and he stopped justifying himself, Samuel turned around to leave, and Saul reached out and grabbed his robe, and he tore his robe. And Samuel turned and looked at him and said, Just as you have torn my robe, so has the Lord torn the nation of Israel from your hands. And then he said this, and this is a powerful lesson for each of us. Verse 22 and 23 of the same chapter. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to the Lord? To his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Rebellion is like witchcraft. And God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. You see, we begin to think we're going to half obey by doing some good things. And we think doing those good things somehow cover up for or make up for our disobedience. How can you relate that to today's world? Well, how about on Tuesday, Mardi Gras, everybody's allowed to sin as much as they want to, and then on Wednesday, it's okay because you get some ashes put on your head. Is that not the same crazy thinking? I'm sorry if that steps on anybody's toes, but that's just the truth. It's a crazy way of thinking, but it is thinking that this little bit of good stuff is going to cover up for my sin. Folks, that's not the way it works. All those sacrifices, they were all geared toward one thing, obedience. God wanted a relationship with his people. Don't ever think your good works and your good deeds can somehow be an excuse to sin. You can't cover up sin and say, well, I go to church. Well, weren't you out smoking marijuana last night? Yeah, but I gave tithe yesterday. Did I see you drunk last week at that bar? Yeah, but I was in church Sunday morning. As if somehow that covers up or something. Folks, the word of the Lord from Samuel to Saul is still true today. God's not looking for good deeds 
sacrifices. He's looking for a heart of obedience. He's looking for a relationship with us by the precious blood of Jesus. He's not looking for doing some good-looking things and then somehow that makes up for our disobedience. The last thing I see here, and that is, it's how you begin that counts, not how you finish. Did I say that wrong? Well, let's, let's, let's say it the right way. It's not the way you say it. It's if you got the if if you got the smarts to read what's in front of you. It's not how you begin. Whew. But it's how you finish. Thank God. Saul had a tragic beginning. Saul started out, oh, it's wonderful. His first battle, he won his first battle, and all the men clapped and said, Man, we got a great king. He started great. But he finished terrible. You know, Saul, at the very end of his life, it says that he couldn't hear from God anymore. And he was about to fight a battle with the Philistines. And he wanted some word from the Lord that he was going to win, that he was going to have victory. Samuel was dead now. And there was no prophet. And because he had wandered so far from God, he had to go find a witch. Something that he as king had forbidden in the kingdom, he had to go and find a witch at Endor and ask her to conjure up a familiar spirit so he could somehow hear a word from the Lord. I want to tell you, folks, it's bad when you've got to go to a witch to get a word from the Lord. That's how far he went. Started out good, but he ended up bad. And I just want to tell you today, folks, I don't care how you began. You may have messed up your life. You may have been a failure. You may have had a lot of failures in your life. But what counts is that you can allow God to write a new destiny for your life. Today. Not yesterday, but today. You can begin to write a new destiny for your life. I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet and we're going to pray. There are people in this room, you've given in to pressure like Saul did. Been people in this room, you made some of the same mistakes that Saul did. You listen to the wrong voices. But today, God wants you to know it's the end of your life. It's today and forward that really matters. Today, He wants to love you and forgive you and to restore you and to give you a hope and a purpose. He wants to reveal to you the purpose He has for your life. And yeah, the enemy wants you to look back. 
enemy wants you to see yourself in light of your failures, but God wants you to see yourself in light of his plan for your life, the destiny that he has for every person. Today, you can begin over again by the precious blood of Jesus. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can be washed and cleansed from everything in the past. And you can begin all over again. If you would be willing to start over in your life, be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and say, yes, I want to start over again. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And I want God to begin to work a new work in my life. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. Meet me right down here at front. I want to pray with you. Anybody, you want to start over again. Starting over again is one of the great, one of the great blessings in our life. You'd be willing to start over. Anybody, would you come? Anybody, yes, come on. You want to say, today, I want to start over. Come on, there are people that the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. Today is a day to start over. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you know the Lord. But you say, I'm ready to put the past behind me, and I want to begin brand new in my life. I want to start over in my life. Thank you. Come on, young lady. Anybody else? Others, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to some other people here about starting over in your life. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to wait just a minute. Let's sing that song if we could while we're waiting for it. Could we? We're going to sing it as well with my soul. Praise you, Lord. We're going to wait just for a minute. It's more of you to come. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, sweetheart. Come and thank you, young man. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, young man. Come on. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking to several of you about starting over your life. Let's put behind you what, what happened in the past. Yes, thank you. Come on. Yes, come on. Those some of you up here I know that you already have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ but again the spirit of the Lord saying today is a day to begin over to start over again to start fresh others of you maybe this is the very first time you've given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ 
It's an important day. It's an important time to begin that relationship with the Lord. So I'm just going to ask all of you, y'all, and if you're out there, would you just stretch out your hand in faith, believing today your lives are being changed this morning. Destinies are being rewritten. We're going to pray out loud. And if you're out there and you want to pray with us, pray with us. Let's pray it out loud. If you're up here at the front, let's pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I love you. I make a decision today. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to look forward. I want to start over in my life. I repent, Lord, of any sin. I put it under the blood of Jesus. Your precious blood is the covering for my sin. Come into my heart, Lord. Take over control. Change my life. Be the Lord of my life. Help me, Lord, to walk your way, to think your way. I give you my life. In the name of Jesus, I am a brand new creation in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for working in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering and say thank you, Lord. Amen. Let me just say this. I know some of you know the Lord. You've made this decision about knowing the Lord in in times past. But if this is the very first time you made this decision, for any of you, I'd like you, where's Brother Freddie? There's Brother Freddie. I'd like you to follow with Brother Freddie. We'd like to get a record of that so we can follow up on that and just be able to know, be able to call you, write to you, whatever we have to, to be able to know more and be able to follow up with that. So if this is the very first time, like you to follow Brother Freddie. He's going to go into that room there. Just be a few minutes, about five minutes. Won't be long. Uh, if you've already made this decision, thank God. Walk in that decision. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you.